I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of the podcast, The Checkup, and this is part two of a series with Primera Blue Cross and Boulder Care. And in this part of the episode, we are gonna talk about what the relationship and the partnership looks like with Primera and Boulder Care rethinking the way that we're treating opiate addiction. So Rick, you guys went on an adventure. We did. You went on LinkedIn. You found someone with an entrepreneurial spirit and ideas and a clinical team <laughs> that was dreaming new dreams about solving an old enough problem. I did. And actually, it was a very targeted pursuit. It was for specifically uh, Stephanie and what she was building. Like I said in our prior uh, episode, the problem of substance use disorder was not going to be solved in a traditional way. It's persisted for a long time and will continue to persist. And I felt like we needed to have a different way to tackle things like stigma and the financing and the treatment itself, privacy, et cetera. It's been quite inspiring to see the innovation in places like Portland and Salt Lake City, Salt, um, San Francisco, New York City, et cetera. A lot of great healthcare ideas are coming uh, to fruition very quickly in healthcare tech. Their ability to apply them to a carrier can sometimes be difficult because let's be honest, carriers, when you look at innovation, are not viewed at the forefront. We are viewed on the traditional side, good, bad, or indifferent. And what we wanted to do was say, how can we leverage something like virtual care in a manner that we might be able to expedite to our membership by leveraging network capacity? So what we needed was a partner who didn't quite feel constrained by the traditional carrier viewpoint on the care itself and how it's delivered, but might be willing to work with us in that traditional system to become an in-network partner. What was going on at Boulder Care clearly aligned with that very, very well, not to mention Stephanie and her spirit as well. So we got on the phone, we talked for about an hour. It was clear within the first seven seconds that we were aligned on mission, vision, and passion. And what we started to do was architect if you were to take how the, the system works today, the train tracks, and take what you're starting to build, how would we put that on the train tracks and rails today? And how can we actually make that work, but not limit you from an innovation perspective of actually solving this complex problem? And we spent the last 12 months trying to navigate that thus far. I think we're doing really well, but I think that's how it started. It was really a very targeted outreach for someone who could really help with what I think I called in the last episode a blind spot just a place where we probably weren't going to be able to impact much of humanity, but they might be. So that was sort of my impetus for reaching out and how we found them. So Stephanie, we covered how traditional treatment is working. How does Boulder Care work? Well, first, thank you, Rick, for the kind <laughs> words. I think, uh, you know, we are so fortunate at Boulder to have a team and have investors who we're letting us be a bit patient as well in finding the right anchor partner, knowing that so much of what's broken in addiction treatment today is following the path of the current model, the current incentives, and a lot of the you know kind of barriers that are in place that lead predictably to insufficient outcomes and access. So we're absolutely grateful to have a partner like Primera who can help us get to market next year and really make an impact for millions of people who need support. Um, but Boulder, you know, we are a digital treatment program, a digital clinic and focused on opioid use disorder treatment um, and all of the psychosocial aspects of addictive disease as well and treating the whole person. Uh, we call ourselves a digital clinic because not only do we have a fantastic product that lets us reach patients anywhere they are through two-way interactive video, texting, 
Um, we also have our own care teams. Uh, so licensed physicians who can treat addictive disease, many of them with primary care backgrounds as well, to identify all of the other co-occurring medical and um, behavioral social needs a patient may have, um, as well as uh, support staff, um, care advocates, and peer recovery coaches. So these are incredibly important aspects of the team as well to help patients navigate the system. We've been talking about how complicated that is really for any patient, but particularly with addictive disease, finding um, things like uh, food bank or safe housing. Um, many of our patients also have co-occurring conditions or you know, need a primary care provider. We're able to help with that as well. And our peer program, we're also very excited about, um, led by a remarkable woman who's trained already thousands of other trainers. So that lived experience really helps them understand what patients are going through and they help empower them to find resources in their own community uh, and um, you know, kind of rebuild some of their social structures. Uh, so collectively, you know, we're able to use technology to have these tr be truly coordinated teams, reach patients privately at home. Um, and for the 80% of communities that actually have no access at all to a brick and mortar provider, uh, we can much more quickly exactly, um, you know, reach them and, and curb this epidemic. One of the things we know are that rural areas have been hit particularly hard. So you couple that with lack of having any access at all. Very frightening. That's right. One of the things that I read is that primary care is a really appropriate place for a patient to be connected with good care but that most primary care providers can only handle so many of these patients at a time because of that complexity. You kind of touched on it. What does the Boulder Care Treatment Plan, how, how does that really address the complexity and maybe more uniquely handle that patient that has all of these care coordination issues? Well, primary care physicians are just the heroes of healthcare, and they, they do so much. And uh, we, you know, the federal government, just generally public policy, we've said, yes, primary care physicians can treat addictive disease, and they should, but we've not set them up to do that at all. So uh, for buprenorphine prescribing specifically, um, you know, to prescribe the evidence-based care for opioid use disorder, you need a special waiver that requires additional hours of training and already pretty overburdened healthcare systems are responsible for a host of new compliance and regulatory requirements specific only to addictive disease. Um, things like you know, agreeing to have the DEA inspect your records and only managing between 100 and 275 patients actively at any one time. We do this for no other medication or disease and we've got millions of people who need care. Uh, so already we're asking primary care to do a lot. Um, we're constraining the number of patients they can see and when you think about a clinic that typically sees people you know, two times a year for a wellness appointment, suddenly having daily or weekly visits, doing drug testing, doing care coordination to other behavioral services, it's just really not feasible. Uh, and that's where Boulder works with primary care physicians. We've referred actually 40% of our current panel into primary care that had none before. And we can help you know, provide information and let them know their patients are being well cared for, refer for things like hepatitis C treatment or uh, for women who find themselves pregnant um, while they're in uh, addictive treatment. It's really um, kind of a, a team-based effort, but like any other specialty, Boulder can be kind of the specialist provider for um, OUD. Yeah, and shout out to primary care. 
providers, right? The the workhorse, the heroes of healthcare, and they get less than seven percent of the funding of healthcare dollars that are are funneled there. So it would be nice to see policy change and some redirection of funds there as well. What does it look like for a patient who is in a program with Boulder Care? Do they go through mm -hmm. detox first? So for a patient who's just starting treatment for the first time, um, you know, in a typical system, maybe you're at the emergency department and you get discharged with a pamphlet. You call to 12 different treatment centers, find out they're all full or on wait lists. Uh, so just from the very beginning, um, we make that a really seamless process into referral. So patients can access Boulder um, from a referring primary care physician or from the ED. All they have to do is download the app and immediately get linked to a provider that same day. Um, we work to provide low barrier access to medication. So we know this is a medication that cuts the death rate immediately in half, right? So we don't want to wait longer than 48 hours at most to verify a patient's identity and eligibility and get them um, an e-prescription to their pharmacy. So the first couple of weeks of treatment, um, we call it the engagement phase, we really try to be thoughtful about getting all of the information we need to develop a holistic treatment plan, but without putting the burden on the patient. You know, a seven-hour in-person appointment where they're going through detox, starting to go through withdrawal before they get their medication, it's just really a, a terrible patient experience. So very thoughtfully over two weeks using telemedicine, um, we can have patients meet their care team and understand what their goals are and work over time to introduce new things, new therapies, um, strategies for treatment, certainly the peer recovery coaching, but without making any of those things um, you know, required aspects of treatment that just serve as a barrier for those who really can't make it work with their lives. Uh, so over time, uh, we may do some things asynchronously with patients. So after six months or eight months when um, you know, patients have been doing well, there's no reason to ask them to come in for a visit or do a urine drug test weekly the way that they may have to do in person. We can, um, through technology, do things like an observed uh, lab test at home. So we send patients a saliva drug test kit and can ping them through the app, ask that they take their, uh, their drug test at home under five minutes and completely privately so that we can still make sure that they're on um, track with their treatment plan. We can still check in, but again, not putting the burden on the patient to come to us in order to do that for them. Do you think it's easier for the healthcare providers to build good relationships with the patients they're working with in this modality? I think our physicians have just had such um, surprising feedback. Um, you know, they all came into this having treated patients in person, being incredibly excited about the mission and opportunity to reach more patients more conveniently. But I don't think any of us expected that we could actually have deeper relationships with patients than even the same patients they saw in person that are now on the platform because we're being invited into a patient's home, right? We're, uh, we had one of our physicians see a patient um, and realize that they were actually in a hospital setting. They hadn't realized that for something unrelated to their use, they had been admitted and were able to just say, what's going on? Please don't leave against medical advice. That's not a good idea. Let's talk about how we can get you back home and shorten the length of stay in a way that's safe huge savings for the health system and, you know, identifying a need that we wouldn't have recognized otherwise. We have patients who uh, have their children sleeping in the room behind them and are able to really just open up and have a great conversation with someone on their own turf rather than in a clinical setting where, especially in some of the, you know, more traditional programs, patients kind of feel like they're being judged. You know, they're asked to take these witnessed urine drug tests. They're 
um, there for 20 minutes and had a long commute and a long wait time. And uh, these treatment centers are often not in the best parts of town. So the overall experience for in-person has just been so difficult. And now that we're able to really meet patients where they are, I think those relationships are completely um, either you know, stronger or just uh, deeper than we could have anticipated. And I think part of the beauty, and again, coming back to the, the interview that I read online, is this desire to help people get back to the lives that we know they want, right? No one wants to be living in this socially disconnected space of not working, of not providing for their family and not spending time with their children. So effective, good treatment helps people to re-engage and do these things in society that we talked about too in our, in our original episode. There's a cost to the social framework of our communities when people are in addiction. So let's talk about cost. You kind of alluded to that and you know, treatment and its cost structure most mostly that we know today isn't working and it's incredibly expensive. What does Primera really like about this Boulder Care? Yeah, one of the first things Stephanie ever said, and it needed to be an understanding basically between us when we started was that she wanted to be compensated in a value-based manner that rewarded them for outcomes. Uh, Basically, she won over the whole company with that statement because it demonstrated one, she actually was living the actual mission. She wanted to really focus on the patient care, be able to manage it effectively, but also manage it in a way that allowed them not to be done with the care after seven days, 30 days, et cetera. Allowed them, if this modality is working, keep it. But if you wanna go to something brick and mortar too, we can successfully transition you there and work with you there. The amount of care coordination and focus on the actual treatment of the patient, the outcome they experience, and the duration of an episode that isn't something that we should say is a month. It is much longer than that. I think their focus on that really made them a really attractive partner. And then to actually have the digital platform to be able to do it is a whole nother thing too, because we didn't actually have that. So she was not only being compensated in a way that will drive better outcomes, but had a tool and uh, sorry, tools and platforms to be able to drive a different experience for the member that made the likelihood of that positive outcome far uh, more likely. So they were somewhat the ideal partner there. And from an episodic perspective, if they do really well, they're going to be a very successful company because they're essentially treating the core problem as opposed to earlier, those companies that really need you to come back. They, if the problem goes away, you're not a revenue generating patient anymore. It's a very perverse incentive. And yeah. she solved for that in the first 10 minutes. Um, and that's what I think is the best part of the structure we have from a cost perspective and downstream of that employers, Washington, Alaska, et cetera, will actually see a total cost of care reduction because we're actually gonna be solving this problem in a real way. So all the stakeholders in this market are gonna see the value of the work they're doing. What are you seeing in your pilots thus far? Well, it's been about eight months now that we've been treating a cohort in Southern Oregon. And uh, it's, you know, I think along the way, we've seen pretty incredible case studies. So we had, um, I was telling Rick, a healthy baby born on our platform to a mom who stayed in recovery and did some advocacy work for her at the delivery center. Often it's really challenging when the state and others get involved with uh, patients in treatment and just having someone to ensure that mother and baby go home safely and continue in treatment was um, something Boulder was able to do. 
We've had patients do things like sign up for community college classes, um, get back into things that they used to love, take up new hobbies, regain employment, regain housing. So two patients on our platform are currently homeless and one we were able to reach through telemedicine in the McDonald's parking lot, um, truly meeting them where they are. And uh, quite contrary to, it's, it's really amazing. You know, there's a lot of um, skepticism around uh, lower income Americans or those with opioid use disorder using phones, having access to reliable Wi-Fi. And um, the literature has shown 90 plus percent do. And we found the same thing. And if you deliver a service that people really need and are benefiting from, of course, you know, that is the bar that you have to meet in order for them to continue engaging with your service or your product. And so that's um, the onus is on us to do that. Uh, but now at eight months, we've got greater than 95% patient retention. That's certainly the outcome we're most proud of. Uh, you know, the industry average of 30 to 40% in typical treatment programs. And that's, again, a testament to our care teams. Um, and we, we're also seeing, just as you do with most medication-assisted treatment programs over time, a decrease in ED utilization, only one out of 100 in the emergency department. Yep. And... Uh, we're able to also continue to engage with that patient after discharge, um, seeing you know all of the quality of life indicators that we're really focused on. Key is metrics around engagement with patients, their um, you know overall kind of NPS scores and things that we're measuring now to prepare for Primera because as Rick said, uh, they've really defined kind of a, a chronic disease management program that is um, rooted in outcomes, and we want to be accountable to those outcomes in order to get paid. So what does that look like? What does the Primera Boulder Care <laughs> relationship yeah. look like? So we'll be launching early next year. Um, as I said, we're taking a traditional network construct and applying it a different way. So we're going to start to, as they scale their company, make them available to different segments, different employers, et cetera. Um, we're actually starting in the state of Alaska. You mentioned rural populations. Alaska is not just largely rural and remote. Uh, there are physical barriers from the climate that prevent people from actually seeking treatment. It's a state going through somewhat of an economic depression already. And the problem there is much greater than in many other states. It is very ripe for a disruptor like Boulder Care. Also, the systems there we have really strong relationships with. The PCPs, for instance, that work in that market do not have the wherewithal to manage this particular condition well. So we're going to work up. Right, right. I agree. And we're going to work with them to say this is a great place to actually send a lot of those cases because they can manage them effectively and address all the barriers I just said. Now, I'm somewhat branded as someone who likes to show things a little before they're ready. So <laughs> about it. middle of last year, we started showing Boulder Care and their prototypes to some of our largest accounts. Uh, at this point, there's enough demand to where we actually have to work together to make sure that we can scale appropriately. Um, and I mean that in the most positive way, which is so many people really see the value of what we're doing, that making sure we start to release different as uh, segments of our business over time is really important. So we're working through exactly how we will do that. But I was really proud to see the large employers, specifically in Seattle, really, really lean into wanting to see this as capacity that's added as quickly as possible. Because it shows, one, the stigma discussions we've been having are starting to have an impact. They're willing to now go out and talk about solutions like this that resolve very specific clinical needs. But then, two, um, it shows that we're doing the right thing. 
it, it was an affirmation that the work we're putting in for the last year and we're about to see the fruits of um, is something the market really wants. So we are very, very close. Our partnership will be uh, long lasting. I can promise you that. And to, just as a partner in general, whether they're this treatment or anything else, just measuring them as a partner, they've been incredibly collaborative. So we're quite happy. The data doesn't lie. And it is really encouraging to see that employers are starting to acknowledge that perhaps within their employee base and maybe the employees have family members and kids or spouses who are struggling. Is there anything else that you would like to share about Boulder Care and where things are going? Yeah, so we sit on the Health Plan Innovation Roundtable. It's a cohort of seven national health plans, some regional, some that cover the entire country. Uh, and we're asked every six months to bring forward one company that we're working with that we think is really transforming healthcare. In October, we brought Boulder Care. Um, I think it was a mic drop moment for Primera. I was awfully proud of the presentation we did, um, but I think it was a springboard to other greater things that Stephanie should talk about because her company now, while we've obviously been a strong partner early, is um, growing quite quickly. So maybe talk a little bit about that. As you can imagine, having Primera be the voice behind your company, no one could dream of a better oh, <laughs> presentation you. to other health plans. And um, certainly for our next 12 months, the goal you know, to work closely with Primera in Alaska and in their national account to tell a really powerful story to the market about what can happen when you have the right partner, the right delivery systems, and the right medical model with telemedicine. So we're incredibly excited about that. Um, and then beyond kind of um, other you know, commercial pairs and governmental plans, it's a little bit um, easier, I think, to have a launch partner that has kind of a forward thinking view and is willing to try things like value-based payments and um, you know, having an in-network provider with no brick and mortar centers. It's a relatively novel concept and it's really where we think healthcare is going. But to be able to show that with a blues plan uh, as a kind of mark for the rest of the country no better way, um, no better way to start. So we're hopeful that we can start making a dent. There are at least 6 million people today that we know need treatment and no one provider could possibly scale quickly enough um, to meet this need. So we've, we're looking for collaborative partnerships with others who are doing good work and are excited to um, really get out there in Q1 next year. Okay. So if there is anyone watching or listening to this who would like to connect with you to find out about ways to partner, can they do that? Can they just Absolutely. go on LinkedIn? Like <laughs> Worked for me. <laughs> Worked for Rick. <laughs> Thank you, LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, really excited to have those conversations um, with you know health systems, other payers um, and peers who are doing work in social determinants or um, you know, other behavioral and medical treatments through telemedicine. Absolutely. We need to be demanding something different. We need more stories of moms having healthy babies and living in recovery and kids who are living free of addiction and all of the stories that we all hear, uh, whether struggling in between, but we need more success stories. And the success stories I think we've found from the recovery community, there's just nothing more inspirational. The resilience um, and community that you see uh, every day, it's kind of a reminder of why it's so important to do what we're doing. Uh, so it's more than just the dollars, it's about the human cost. It's incredibly worth it. <laughs>
incredibly worth it. So we hope that you'll join us in this endeavor in whatever capacity that you have in your sphere of influence, whether it is helping people access treatment, rethinking the way that you talk about addiction, and you can access resources that we'll make available as well. Thank you for joining us today. If you are inspired by our episodes today, we would love to hear from you. We're at Propel Checkup on Twitter, but you can also find Rick, Stephanie, and myself all on LinkedIn. You can follow the checkup on iTunes and on YouTube. But if you or someone that you know wants help, we would direct you to the Primera website for behavioral health. That link is here in this graphic and also at daniellehouston.com. Thank you for being part of a conversation to change the stigma around addiction. And thanks for listening to The Checkup.